when I say Jesus is God, many of you, perhaps most of you gathered in the church, are quick to say, amen, it is true, I believe. But as Paul prayed, we, we are slower to say, help my unbelief. We are just, I mean, we got to own it. We, we are insecure. I mean, we're all a little insecure, and some of us are a little more than a little, right? No amens to that? I understand why. If you don't, that's okay. You'll get that later. Um, we're insecure. We, we, we think so much about ourselves. We see the lens, and it is just self. And the whole world just gets pictured through it. We are inclined, we are inclined to identify with the revelation we like and dismiss the revelation we don't. Why? Because we're prideful, we're prideful. Whether insecure or arrogant, one way or another, we put ourselves at the center. And as a result, we identify with the revelation we like. We dismiss the revelation we don't. Let me give you just a really silly, lighthearted example to just kind of help get our mind there, okay? You have a mole on the side of your face. You're slightly self-conscious about it. Pastor Wes, who is a caring, loving person, wants to encourage you. He comes up and he says, you know... Cindy Crawford had a mole just like that, and she was a supermodel. And you're like, yeah, I could be a model. Check out my mole, right? Because that's what you would do. You walk upstairs, you know, you're coming into church, and then you bump into Pastor Jeremy. And Pastor Jeremy also, a caring guy who wants to encourage you. But we all know Jeremy's a little different. Jeremy says, you know who else had a mole just like that? Jane. And you go, Jane, is she a model? And Jeremy goes, no. She's my neighbor back in West Virginia. She had three arms, no teeth, and she always smelled like motor oil. And you're like, yeah. Jeremy's like, she's a really sweet lady. I'm being silly. I just want you to catch something really quick. The same thing that identifies you with Cindy identifies you with Jane. We are quick to accept and celebrate the revelation that conforms to our pride. And we resist the, re the revelation that doesn't. Why? Because we are inclined to identify with the revelation we like, dismiss the revelation we don't. And here, as we study into Hebrews, there are some Hebrews that are doing just that. As God has revealed himself in the Son, they are holding on to what they like and dismissing what they don't. 
And so the author of Hebrews begins in verse 1, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high long ago God made himself known through prophets they carried his message but now in this era God has revealed himself in his son who does not just carry a message, but is God in flesh. Our big truth this morning that we're gonna see and we're just gonna spend some time and just say, Lord, help our unbelief. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Verse two, Jesus created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And if he upholds the universe by the word of his power, Last week, we saw that the Word, the revelation of God, became flesh. This week, we set up kind of our final setup piece, if you will, to our study of Hebrews. And we look at a critical doctrine. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the perfect representation of God. The author says he is the exact, the exact imprint of God into human flesh. Stamped, God stamped into flesh, into us. The perfect representation of God. Jesus is the better revelation because he is fully God. John 1, we looked at that last week, verse 1. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus is revealing himself. Jesus, the Creator, makes himself known to the creation. And in so doing, he reveals redemption, hope, purpose, joy, Life, it's all in him. And so if the psalmist cried out and said that the law of your mouth is better than thousands of gold and silver pieces in Psalm 119, what treasure is God in flesh? The immeasurable value of the revelation is God makes himself known. He is God. And there is only one right response. It is to worship him. And yet, and yet, even as we believe in our pride, in our selfishness, we are tempted to twist Jesus' revelation of himself. To practically divorce him. From God the Father and God the Spirit. To functionally separate him from his divinity. To corrupt his humanity. 
Why? Because in our pride, we want Jesus to conform to us. To conform to our insecurity. To fit him in with our ambitions, our political views, our sense of justice, to give license to our sin. We want Jesus to conform to us, and yet God took flesh that we might conform to him. To conform us to him. And this temptation to dismiss Jesus' self-revelation, to water it down, is so rooted in our sin and our pride that it is bluntly described throughout this letter in Hebrews. You're going to see five major sections of warnings. Five throughout the 13 chapters. You're going to find them in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5 and 6, chapter 10 and chapter 12. Seven of the 13 chapters are going to contain sections of warning. Warning. And at the heart of these warnings, do not neglect the revelation of Jesus. Maybe best summarized in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Reject Jesus, the image of the invisible God, and there is no escaping the retribution that awaits. Why? Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There is no other name, no other gospel, no other good news, no other revelation by which we may be saved. And I want you to see that, so I want to take you to Colossians chapter 1, and I want us to just spend some time on this doctrine of Jesus' divinity, that he is the God-man, fully God. So Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, you'll see our big truth immediately. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Three big ideas. The first one, implications of this big truth. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is preeminent. Now, 
Kids, if you're here and you don't know what the word preeminent is, don't worry about it. I, 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 I didn't learn it until like last year. I mean, it's, it, it's just a big word. It means a lot of stuff, okay? So I'm going to try to break it down, and we're going to see how Paul describes it here in Colossians chapter 1. But simply it means first among all, distinguished above all, superior to all. Paul says it this way, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. It's an immediate reference to a birth order. Now that doesn't mean as much today in our culture, but it meant something in theirs. To be first is to have the authority, to have this just mantle, if you will, of right placed upon you. Jesus is the alpha. He is the first. There is nothing before him in all of creation. Nothing before Jesus. Firstborn of creation. He is the first. Nothing precedes him. Paul goes on and he says, he is the creator of all things in verse 16. He is the source of time. Space, matter, life. He spoke it into existence. He is the creator of all things. He is first and he is creator. Verse 16, not only that, all things created were created for him. All of creation, every grain of sand to you, exists for Jesus, for his glory. He is the purpose of all things. We exist for him. You have no rights, no value, no meaning apart from Jesus. The assessment of every aspect of creation directly back to him. If you still see yourself with rights, with value, with worth, apart from Jesus, you do not understand the difference between a supreme creator and God and who he is and who you are. All things created for him. He is the creator. We are the creation. And he has created for his glory. He says, Hold all things together. Jesus holds all things together, meaning he is the sustainer of all creation. Creation is not independent. You do not exist apart from Jesus. Jesus is our beginning. He is also our end. Jesus is not just Alpha, he is Omega, he is last. There is nothing after him. Nothing before him, nothing after him. All of creation is sustained and kept and held together by the creator. He is supreme. Notice, the Hebrews understood this. They got this. Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 2, describing Jesus, the Son, as the heir of all things through whom He, the Father, created the world, and he upholds the universe 
by the word of his, Jesus' power. You get it? Catch it. He upholds the universe, Jesus, by the word of his power. The world was created by the word of God. That's nothing new to the Hebrews. Matter of fact, in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 3, the author says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. So just as the word created the world, spoken into existence by God, Jesus now sustains all of creation by the power of his word. He sustains, he keeps all things. It's just a powerful statement. It's significant. The world actively kept, sustained every breath you breathe. Every cell that receives nourishment. The fact that the rock takes up space, all of it, actively sustained by Jesus' word, the power of it. Power here just means strength. It really means authority, ability. It often gets translated as works throughout your New Testament. But here it just connects the revealed will, word, the revealed will and authority, power, of Jesus by the revealed will the word of his active presence power the world is sustained the power of Jesus's active revealed will sustains the universe and so just consider for just a moment that he has taken flesh and proclaims himself the preeminence of the son revealed in our form that should blow our mind. That God, who is first and last, who speaks all things into existence, and by his revealed will is an overflow of his presence and his authority, sustains all of it. That powerful that supreme, that big, and in his love for us to make himself known imprints himself into human flesh that you and I might know him. An incredible thing. Jesus is preeminent. Second, Jesus is the head of the church. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Not only is Jesus preeminent over creation, but also new creation. Specifically here, preeminent over the redeemed church. 
Paul describes the church as the body of which Jesus is the head. There is no life in the church apart from the head. We get that illustration. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, the author says. There is resurrection among the saints because there was a resurrection of Jesus. It's important. You have hope of a resurrection. Why? Because there was the resurrection of Jesus. And so the church, once a hell-bound people, if left to themselves, is redeemed. Not by themselves and not for themselves, but for the glory of God, we exist for Jesus. He is preeminent over creation and new creation. He is the head of the church. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Final big idea, Jesus is fully God. Fully God. Church, listen. Jesus is not a different revelation. He's not a different revelation. He doesn't represent some leadership change within the Godhead. He is fully God. In Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. He is not a new puzzle piece for you to conform to the board of your life. Man, we are tempted to conform the revelation of Jesus to ourselves. To see him through the lens of our eyes, our will, our pride. Remember, we are inclined to identify with the revelation we like and dismiss the revelation we don't. And it's so casual, it's so deceptive in our hearts and in our actions to separate Jesus from the triune God, to redefine him in order to conform him to us. And the author of Hebrews is setting up a warning for us. If in Jesus the fullness of God is pleased to dwell... If Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, if Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature, if Jesus created and upholds the universe by the word of his power, if Jesus is fully God, then Jesus isn't disconnected or different from God, from himself. He's not different from God in the Old Testament. He's not some softer version, some kinder version. No, listen, let me contextualize it for you. Let me make sure you get what I'm saying to you. Jesus wasn't on vacation during the flood. He wasn't out sick during the conquest. 
He wasn't in disagreement with the Father and the Spirit. His man, woman, and child were killed in God's wrath. He wasn't like blind to it. No, listen, the three are one and he is fully God. So Jesus wasn't just present, he was active in his wrath. Righteous, holy. See, Jesus isn't just a kinder, softer version of God. He isn't apologizing for his actions or the triune God. Church, listen. The wrath of God on Sodom is just as much the way of Jesus as the restoration of Peter. He's fully God. But we project our sin and our insecurity on him. We're so sinful, so prideful in our worship even. We, the worship of not just the songs we sing, but the worship of the way we live our life. In our worship, we cower in passivity, avoiding tension, avoiding truth, telling ourselves that's Christian. That's the way of Jesus. Jesus wouldn't confront. He's accepting. Jesus wouldn't allow doctrine to bring tension into my workplace or my family. Jesus wouldn't call me to repent, to conform to him. So blatant. prevailing in our setting, in our culture. I don't know, you, you can't even like just national media, like you watch a football game and there's going to be commercials that are actively trying to redefine Jesus. Go to their sites, read about these things, watch what they're saying and notice the subtle temptation. For example, just one recently, I, I went and I checked out their mission statement. They say, we simply want Everyone to understand the authentic Jesus as he is depicted in the Bible. The Jesus of radical forgiveness, compassion, and love. He is all those things. If you were here last year and you heard about false teaching, you understand how that works. That's true. It's a good statement. But in their motive, they desire to soften him. To conform him to you. You keep reading and... They give the goal of how they want Jesus to be known and say, the idea that Jesus is just like me, as opposed to the message that I need to change to become more like him, is extraordinary to me. It completely transforms my thought process around Jesus. It allows me to separate the idea of Jesus from the idea of religion. And I'm immediately skeptical of any religious message. But this message doesn't come with a request or any action item. That message says that Jesus exists to conform to you. Woe to you if you believe such a lie. Why? Because Jesus is God. Fully God. Supreme. And we exist for him. You are not his peer. You are not his cheerleader. He doesn't exist for your comfort or your ambitions. He is God. You're God. Holy. And he has not 
and will not change. They ask him in John 8, who do you make yourself out to be? Are you greater than Abraham and the prophets? Who are you revealing yourself to be? You think you're you're a better revelation than the prophets? Than Abraham? And in verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now they knew their Old Testament. And they knew that was a declaration. I am God in full. The burning bush that revealed God. I am. Moses, who shall I tell them is sending me? I am. Jesus, who do you make yourself out to be with this revelation that is greater than the prophets or the angels? Who do you think you are? I am. God in full. He is the creator, not the creation. We celebrate his incarnation at Christmas, but not his beginning. He is the first and the last. He is the absolute sustainer. He is not dependent and not in need. Jesus is worthy of worship because he is fully God. We exist for him. He is not a different revelation that we get to conform to ourselves, that we get to add on to our preferences, our traditions, our ambitions. No, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is preeminent, the head of the church, fully God. He is the better revelation. Hebrews begins on this doctrinal foundation. And as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, the author is going to do two things. Explain again and again why he is God. And warn the reader. Warn the reader. As such, how can you neglect his revelation? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? In Jesus is all hope, all life. He shed his blood, gave his life, that through faith we might know God. We might know him. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Why? Because it is the precious blood that flows from God in flesh. The perfect representation of our Savior, the one true God. Glory, glory, hallelujah. 
worship, worship, praise to the I am. Glory be the Son, Jesus, God in flesh. When I ask the team to come up and Paul to come up, he's going to lead us in a time of response. But as we do, I just want to call you to worship in response of who he is. I'd like to do so by just reading to you a few verses. They're not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to ask you to just take them in and let God's word have its way with you. Day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. It is true. As we come together this morning, this is an opportunity for us to respond to God's word. We say this a lot, but every time God's word is opened in our lives in settings like these, it deserves a response. And so we want to be able to take time week by week to consider our own lives to, before the Lord, say, how do we respond to what we've heard? Repentance, where there needs to be repentance, turning from sin, turning to Christ. Obedience, walking in what the truth calls us to. Faith, trusting what God has said, believing what God has said, walking in that truth, and worship. And this morning, we've been challenged to remember that Jesus was not just the Son of Man, but Jesus is fully God, separate, other from us, the King of the universe, who's come to make himself known to us. Just want to invite you to bow your head where you are. And just before the Lord, even now in a posture prayer, God, how do I respond to these truths this morning? For some of you, that response might be trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord. That you've heard today that Jesus is not just a man who lived a good life and who served other people, but he, as God, came and gave himself to save you. Turn to him, trust in him. The author of Hebrews says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If we reject Jesus, what hope is there for us? Turn to him this morning, trust in him. Ask God to save you. For some of us this morning, we've been buying into the lie of trying to conform Jesus to us. Jesus were me, how would I live? It's an opportunity to repent of that. 
God, forgive us for not seeing you for who you are, for trying to make you like us, for trying to fit you into our lives instead of reorienting our lives around you. Forgive us, help us. For some of us, we believe all the things that have been said today, that Jesus is preeminent, that he is the head of the church, that he is fully God. We would state those things. But our pursuit of God does not align with our convictions about God. God, help us. God, forgive us. Help us to be a people who pursue your word, who live in obedience to the truth, who trust you, And this morning we have the opportunity together before the Lord to respond in worship. That the God of the universe took on flesh. He became one of us. Not so that he could just be like us, so that we could become like him. He took our sin, he took our death on himself so that we might become children of God, rebels, sinners. That is the good news for us this morning, brothers and sisters. In your doubts, in your struggles, in your questions, in your sin, God has made a way to know you, to love you, and to make you one of his children. And so just before the Lord, worship Him, praise Him, thank Him. Father God, we come this morning humble by the fact that You know us better than we know ourselves. And yet You've still chosen to love us and pursue us, even in this moment. And so we come, we come with our weakness, we come with our sin, we come with our burdens, we come with our struggles, we come with our doubts, we come with our fears, and we give them to you, the God who can carry them, the God who's made a way to rescue us. And we worship you, and we thank you that your blood has made a way to wash us white as snow, and so we come in this morning and we leave this morning asking that you would help us to live like Jesus is our King, because He is. To live like Jesus is better, because He is. Help us, even this week, to not diminish or belittle our Savior in the way that we worship, in the way that we love others, in the way that we work, but that we would be a people who live for the one true King. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.